And Jesus is the only thing that satisfies. Let me put some real specifics for you so you don't walk away and I don't want to give out platitudes. The thirst that Jesus satisfies only comes by accepting him as his personal Savior. You are a sinner destined for hell, separated from God. But God loves you so much he sent Jesus to die on a cruel Roman cross. Sometimes people take that and say, well, Jesus is the answer. They mean sort of the historical Jesus. I am not speaking of a historical Jesus. I am talking about the theological hypostatic Jesus, which means he was fully God and fully man. He came to earth to die for you, and he is the only way your sins can be washed away. The world is thirsty, and it's not a physical thirst they need. It's a spiritual thirst, but people try to quench it, don't they? They try to quench that spiritual thirst with physical needs, and it takes on the forms of different issues. It takes on overeating. It takes on promiscuity. You know, no one steps out at age 10. No little girl like me at 11 says, you know, I, I just want to be used and passed around from man to man. I just want to have a string of relationships. No one does that. No one, no one boy starts out at age 13 and says, I enter my teenage years. My goal is to be a heroin addict. Nobody does that. You know what, you said, well, that's, Pastor, that's the drinking, the drugs. And, but you know what, some of you are in here, maybe? You have a codependent relationship. And you're trying to minister to the spiritual thirst through some relationship you shouldn't have. Some of you might be in here, ladies, senior ladies. You know what, stop trying to minister to that spiritual thirst you're having. You like to cause drama. Right? Get on Facebook, this, get involved in other people's lives. Not to get involved in them to help them, but because it's kind of fun to see the drama in someone else's life. Because if I get involved in the drama and you're like, I never have to deal with cleaning my own room. Someone say amen. Thank you. But people try to, horrible things like pornography. But can I also tell you, people try to deal with this through things like materialism. If I climb a corporate ladder, if I get a bigger house, if I get more money, if I get more things, I can try to deal with this spiritual thirst that I have. This is what Celebrate Recovery is about. If you're taking notes, we kind of emphasized it already. But Celebrate Recovery is about hurts, hang-ups, and habits. It's just not about addictions. It's just not about people who put needles in their arms or anything else like that. It's about people who are trying to deal with the spiritual thirst that they have in a physical way. And what happens when you deal with it in a physical way? Hey, if it's overeating, you see, you see your dress size getting, your pants size get bigger and bigger and bigger and stuff like that. You see your health go down and down. If it's materialism, you see yourself spending time you should be with your family trying to make more money. If, if it's alcohol, you see yourself destroying your life through that horrible word, alcohol. Whatever it is. Somebody has something in their life that they're trying to minister to. In John chapter 4, Jesus, Jesus ministers to the person who's right in front of him. He doesn't have to go far. He doesn't have to seek. He goes right to the person who's actually right in front of him that everyone misses. This woman is trying to use physical intimacy, that connection between a man and a woman, She's trying to use physical intimacy to quench the spiritual thirst that she has inside of her. I have often wondered as I've gotten older and as I've become a father to more and more girls, I've often wondered if she was abused. 
But the Bible doesn't say this is just me speculating. I've often wondered if there was somebody in her life when she was a child who did something to her. I don't know what it is, but what I do know about her, I don't know if she was abandoned by her father or inappropriately touched as a little girl, but I know she had five husbands. I know she's now living with somebody because she doesn't even bother to get married after this point. Some speculate that she's a prostitute. That, that's not a fact that the Word of God reveals, but that's just a speculation. What I do know about this person is that this woman whose name is never mentioned has a spiritual thirst inside her. But it's only Jesus that can answer it. It's only what he does, and she tries to answer it in so many different ways. Verse 4 says this in John 4 about Jesus. And he must needs go through Samaria. I love that verse, that passage of scripture right there, especially in the King James Version. It's so beautiful. But Jesus is basically saying he's going to clean his room. He's going to meet the needs of the people that are right in front of him, hurting, and the people that are often overlooked by the typical average church. So with that in mind, I don't normally use my Bible, and I'm realizing why I don't. Somebody has been coming into my office and shrinking the words of my Bible. <laughs> I don't know who that is. I wish you would stop. <laughs> I had to run in my office. My office is a little brighter, and I didn't have problems looking at it. So I ran into my office and got these. Let's see if this helps me. Would you join me in John chapter 4? Let's pick up this passage here in verse 6. Now Jacob well, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary. Pastor, I'm too tired after Wednesday night to come help on the lawn. Pastor, I have a lot of things going on. I had a friend who used to say this. We're just going to talk here. This is We're just going to change our normal pace instead of me preaching. But I had a friend who used to always say this about anything, any excuse you give. I'd say, well, I'm sure glad Jesus didn't feel that way when he died on the cross for you. <laughs> Pastor Steve, I'm just too weary. But you know what? I'm sure this lady right now is really glad Jesus didn't have a time off for ministry. Amen? Amen. Am I doing a good job of guilting? <laughs> I'm doing a good job. Thank you. All right, back to verse Jesus, therefore, being weary with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now, if you've been in church long enough, now you know what we're going to talk about. That sixth hour, the King James uses, is about noon. It, it's a hot climate. It's a hot time. Of ladies would go either at night, but mostly good moms and good ladies would go during the early part of the day when it's cool and they would get their water. Here this lady is out at noon. There's nobody else around this water. She's there in the middle of the hottest part of time and no one else goes. But we're going to find out later why. That she's an outcast because none of the ladies wanted anything. She's, she's one of those girls. Nobody wanted anything to do with her. The only people that had anything to do with her in the town we'll find out are the men. Can I just say this to you? When I see ladies and these, you know the, you know the problem is? The problem is men. The problem is dads. Amen? He said, well, this prostitute. You know, there wouldn't be people standing out on corners and prostitutes. Men would not do that. Everybody who's out there paying some lady for something down on 8 Mile and Woodward is somebody's father, is somebody's son, is somebody's husband. And if men would get their act right, so much problems in this world would be changed. Amen. Verse 7. Therefore cometh the woman of Samaria to draw water, and 
Jesus said unto her, this shocks her. She's a, she's a Samaritan woman, okay, so they wanted nothing to do with Samaritans. Samaritans were historically, I, I'm going to say this, I hope it's not a they were half-breeds, we might say. They were mixed-race people. They were Gentiles and Jews put together. And so Jewish good people, they didn't talk to Samaritans. Not only is that, she's kind of one of those ladies. You know, her skirt's a little too high. She's got a little too much makeup on or something. You can tell she's not a good church girl. And so most of them would not talk to this person. So Jesus says to her, give me something to drink. Can I just say this? Jesus is a gentleman. Jesus treats every woman with dignity and with respect. Verse 8. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. We're going to talk about that at the end, but they miss out on a great blessing, don't they? Missed out on a blessing because they were out there finding something to eat instead of ministering to this lady. Well, I want to break this down into four ways. Four ways about how, you know, I, I skipped over one part. Can I just add this if you're taking notes? Let me just add this. A church should major in the outcast. This lady is the outcast of the community. This lady is nobody who the, the, the pastor of the right honorable church would invite over to dinner, right? Uh, by the way, I wouldn't invite this lady over to my house for dinner unless my wife was there too, so this will clarify that. But this lady was an outcast. Do you know any church can grow if they don't care who they reach? You know, I'm just, yeah. one of my degrees is in church growth. And uh, I had to do a whole bunch of work on it and everything else. And I found myself so disgusted by what most churches consider church growth. Do you know what it is? Don't target senior citizens because they're going to die eventually anyways. And they're so cranky and they don't like change. Don't target them because you don't have time for people like that. You know what the other one is? Don't target these problem people. Because problem people will suck your life. You only have so much time, so spend your time as a pastor, as a church leader, with people of influence. Spend your time with mayors. Spend your time with executives. Spend your time with other people. Because these problem people with issues and stuff, they will just drain your life time. Let me tell you something. Problem people do drain your time, don't they? They do need help, and they do need things. But listen, Jesus spent time with the outcasts. Jesus spent time with the problem people. I find what is really most church growth is nothing more than paganism warmed over. That's my opinion. I want you to see how she sees Jesus. We're going to look at four ways. This is a classic approach, by the way. So some of you, if you've been in church long enough, you've probably heard these four ways. But the classic way, she approached Jesus first as a Jew. This is her response. Then the woman of Samaria said unto him, Why is it thou, being a Jew, asked to eat of me, which am a woman of Samaria? But the Jews have no dealings with Samaria. She's absolutely right. The Jews would go all the way out of their way if they had to walk through. They would avoid Samaria. They would take hours out of their way to walk through around. But you know what she's doing here? And if you've ever done any evangelism, if you've ever shared Jesus, you know what she's doing? She's using this as a defense mechanism. You, you talk to somebody about Jesus, and then they pull up all these obscure things. They maybe pull up a political issue, right? Or maybe they pull up what's going on in the Catholic Church and everything else, or, or something else that out of left field. Or, you know, I was raised in church, and this pastor did this, or these church people did it, and they hurt me. You know what all that is? All that is is a defense mechanism. She is not trying to stop Jesus from saving her. She's trying to stop someone from getting close to her because every person who's gotten close to her has hurt her or abused her or used her. When you approach people the world, I used to approach, I grew up in Leaving the Beaver. That's what my world was. I was the youngest of seven kids, walked home from school, mom was there, cookies, everything. 
She had everything but the pearl necklace, all right? That's exactly where I grew up. I used to think everybody was that way. No, when you approach people now, I have to basically approach people that this person's got an issue or had something horrible happen in their life. You need to approach people that they are just hurt and, and going through pain. You see a young person walking down the street and they got half your head shaved and it's purple and everything else is piercing like that, and you kind of go, oh, don't look at them like that. Look at them as a young girl or a young boy who didn't have a good father in their life. Look at them as somebody who's basically saying by that, would somebody please notice me? This lady puts up the defense and saying, well, let's, let's get racial here because everybody knows you know, races always get along real well with each other, right? <laughs> Verse 10. Jesus answered and said unto her. You know, he doesn't even get into that. Good, good evangelism. Trip. He doesn't even bother to approach it. He stays on top of it. If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me the truth. Thou wouldst ask of him and he would have given thee the living one. Jesus stays on top of it. You know what his topic is? It's Jesus. You know what our topic is? It's not about being a Baptist. I'm all for being a Baptist. I'm never going to stop being a Baptist. Amen. But you ain't going to heaven because you're a Baptist. It's not about being a good American. It's not about how you vote. It's not about what you think about a certain issue or anything else. It's not about stopping. You notice he doesn't come to her and say, well, first of all, you need to go back to your first husband and let's get this right and go from here and you need to repent of what's going on. He never does that. He just simply, what does he do? He lifts himself up. He talks about himself. If you're going to do anything for Jesus, talk about how great Jesus is. Back to verse 11. The second way she sees him, she sees him as a man. This woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. For whence thou, then that hast thou the living water? Watch this. Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? So she's going to now get religious. She's going to bring up Jacob. That was a divisive issue between the Jews and the Samaritans about who Jacob was. And she said, well, let's, look, this is a religious, right? You've had that talk when you talk to somebody about Jesus. Well, wait, well you're Baptists. Right? There, there's the Baptist. You know, there is no Baptist way. If there's a Baptist way, it's not the way to heaven. The only way is through Jesus. It doesn't, there's no Catholic way. There's no Baptist way. There's no Methodist way. There's no Presbyterian way. There's no Lutheran way. There's nothing. The only way is through Jesus. And she tries to make this religious. This reminds me of something. Religion is evil. We just celebrated the uh, 17th event of 9-11. Uh, that was a religious act. 9-11 was a religious act. They, they did that in the name of religion. Religion is evil and it never saves anyone. You need a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Back here. What does Jesus do? He has a religious debate with her. No, he doesn't. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drink of this water shall thirst again, pointing to the well. Do you see the pattern that he's showing here? You keep trying to meet the spiritual need with the physical need, and you really need more. What could we add to this? Uh, I could add uh, alcohol, drugs, uh, pornography, materialism, promiscuity. It, it doesn't just take one, right? 
Let's just think on alcohol. It's not just, it starts off with just one drink. One drink kind of numbs you. Well, after a while, you need more. So now it's two drinks. So that's three drinks. So it's four drinks. The same with drugs. You start off with some type of drug that it numbs you. Well, after a while, you can build up an immunity to it. You need more. You need more. How about materialism? It wasn't enough that you got that promotion and your bank account's bigger. Well, now you need a bigger house. Well, you can barely afford that. So you're going to need more money and more and more and more. This physical thirst that you try to meet with it, you will have a thirst again. And what happens is it comes back worse. But that's not what Jesus is talking about, is it? Back here in verse 14. But whosoever drinketh the water that I shall give him, the spiritual water, shall never thirst again. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. I, I just can't help but think of uh, Billy Sunday. The late, great Billy Sunday was a professional baseball player for the Chicago Black Sox at the time and was a drunk. He was a glorious drunk. He was a good drunk. And finally he walked into Pacific Garden Rescue Mission. I'm glad there were a group of believers who were on the corner of Pacific Garden Rescue Mission at the time. He walked into Pacific Garden Rescue Mission in Chicago and heard the gospel for the first time and accepted Christ as his personal savior. And from that day forward, he began becoming a preacher and was one of the greatest preachers that this country has ever seen. My wife grew up in a dry county because of a guy named Billy Sunday came there at the turn of the century and preached against alcohol. People got saved and they threw it out and said, we don't even want this poison in our county. I think of Billy Sunday as a person who was trying to take care of that thirst through alcohol, but when he found Jesus, he finally found the answer. That was just brutal. Verse 15, and the woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water. She's thinking physical, right? This is a new drug. This is a new thing. This is something, this is a new relationship, right? Give unto me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. But Jesus said unto her, Go, call thy husband. She's starting to open up to him. She's starting to 
tear down those defenses. Remember, she was like, well, you're a Jew. Now you're a man. Do you know what I noticed about this? It wasn't Jesus' correctness. It wasn't the fact that he was correct on this moral issue. It wasn't the fact that he had the answer for what marriage is supposed to be and divorce and everything else. You know what, you know what draw, drew her close? Was his compassion. Was the fact that he spent time to discuss with her and to treat her like a human being and a person of worth. If you're going to talk to somebody about Jesus, would you please do me a favor? If you can't do it out of compassion, kindly keep your mouth shut. Number four, lastly, she sees him as the answer. Skip ahead to verse 25. The woman said unto him, I know that Messiah is coming, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus in verse 26, look at this. Jesus saying to her, I that speak unto thee am he. Uh, a little time out there for a second. Some people will say, well, you know, Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. In fact, John Hagee wrote a whole book about this, claiming that Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. I don't know what Bible John Hagee is reading, but obviously he's not reading this Bible. Because it seems very clearly here in verse 26 that Jesus is saying, you're talking about the Messiah, that who you are talking about, that's me. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. Back here to verse 27. And upon this came his disciples. And... And the disciples, they're not perfect, but they sure do represent a lot of good Christian people. They're, they're, they're trying. They see ministry doing this grand thing. and they're, they, what, are, what were they focused on? Lord, in your kingdom, who's going to sit next to you? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? And they come upon Jesus talking to this woman with too much eye makeup on and too short of a skirt, who probably is from the wrong side of the church. And what did they do? Verse 27, and he came unto the disciples and marveled and he talked with the woman. Yet no man said it. No one's going to say it out loud, right? I'm going to say it out loud, but uh, you know, I don't know what Jesus is doing. Uh, what seeketh thou? Or why talkest thou to her? No one's going to say it. Verse 28. And the woman then left her water pot. This is, can I just stop for a moment? What did she come to the well for? Water. And she brought a water pot. When she met Jesus, what did she do? She left the water pot. Again, back to our analogy, whether it's overeating, whether it's codependent relationships, whether it's alcohol, promiscuity, pornography, materialism, when someone comes to know Jesus, they drop all of this nonsense and follow him. Amen? Jesus will say, take up your cross and follow me. And this is exactly what this girl is doing. This is exactly what this abuse, this is exactly what this abandoned woman is doing. <coughs> Verse 28. The woman then left her water pot and went on her way into the city and said unto the men. Notice who she talked to? The men. Why? Because the good women of the town wanted nothing to do with her. But the men were okay having a chat with her. Look what she says to these men. Remember if she's a prostitute. Remember if that's possible. Or if she's a promiscuous woman. What does she say to the men? Come see a man which told me all the things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? That got their attention, didn't it? I don't know if you know this, but adultery promiscuity is a two-person sport. And when she goes to the men of the town and say, there's a guy telling everything I've done, I think that got a few people's attention and thought, is he talking about me too? And lastly, watch this last part. 
verse 20, verse, skip all the way down to verse 39. Look, look, at, look what happens. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him. For the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all I ever did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there two days. No Jewish religious person would do that. And many more believed because of his own word. And I love what this says. The woman brought people to them, but watch what they say to her. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of what thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this indeed, the Christ, the Savior of the world. That last part there of verse 42. We know now, not just because of what you've said, your words got our interest, but we know now that he is the Messiah, that he is the answer, that he is the Savior of the world, because we've been with him ourselves. I'd like to close giving you three points. Who missed the opportunity here to help? Number one, religion avoided the need of the people. No self-respecting Jewish person would do what Jesus was doing. No rabbi who was trying to be uh, so distant from any possible sin. We were clean and this person's unclean. They would have nothing to do with them. Next time you're talking to somebody in the light of the church and they say, well, I don't like that religion stuff. You know what you need to say? Me too. I don't like what they'll usually say. No, no, I don't like organized religion. What you should say is that, well, then you don't love our church because we're completely disorganized. <laughs> that word thirst in the original language, the word thirst there means to suffer thirst, to suffer from thirst. And the key word in that definition is suffer. No bowing, no candles, no communion, no good works. None of it can deal with the pain. There is a lost and dying, suffering word in the old world, and only Jesus can fix it. Religion can't clear it up. Jesus says this, don't bother getting cleaned up. You come just as you are, and I will clean you up. The blood that I shed on the cross can wash away all sin. You come to me, and I will make you new. Number two, who missed it? The disciples were, were busy with administrative concerns. It's so easy to be, well, it's so easy to see what has to be done and miss why you're there in the first place. Ministers are guilty of this. A minister received a call from a church that was offering him a, a salary four times of what he was receiving. Being a devout man, he spent time in prayer trying to discern what God wanted him to do. One day a friend met the minister, minister's young son on the street. Do you know what your father is going to do, he asked. Well, replied the youngster, Daddy's praying, but Mama's packing. <laughs> Think about it. The disciples missed a revival. A true miracle. Right there in front of them, they missed it. Why? Well, verse 8 says, For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy me. You can find every reason under the sun to help. You can find every excuse there possibly is why you shouldn't minister, why you can't get involved in people's lives. Some of them are legit reasons. Maybe. But you know what's going to be the end result? You're going to miss out on miracles just so you can go buy some meat. 
And number three, we missed it. The woman placed barriers to being helped. She tried to change the conversation. She tries to start a fight with Jesus. She tries to get racial with Jesus. She tries to get in a theological discussion and a historical debate with Jesus. Why? Because she didn't want to deal with the pain that was inside her own life. At some point today, at some point in your life, you're going to have to stop running. You're going to have to stop asking yourself, why am I constantly thirsty? What is going on in my life that this thirst is never met? The only answer is Jesus Christ. It's time to accept Christ as your personal Savior. And believers in Jesus Christ, why can't we be that? Why can't we be that hose that just gives out the, the water that the world needs? So today you start, you stand at the edge of a new beginning. You don't have to be the person you are. The cross of Jesus is more powerful than anything in your life. You don't have to live with guilt and pain and shame, hurts, habits, and hangups. You don't have to because God's grace comforts the broken heart. And you don't have to keep your sin because the blood of Jesus washes you wider than sin. A few weeks ago, I was cutting the grass before our fall festival. And I was cutting the grass, I noticed what shot out. Well, it got my attention because it was money. And I noticed on the blade it shot out some money. And I had to stop, see what it was, right? And it was a dollar bill, and my blade went over it and just tore it all up. But I don't know where the rest of it is. But I know this, that even though it's tore up, that if you have a certain percentage of it, you can take it back together and take it to a bank or take it to some place, and they'll give you a new one. So I took some time, and I looked through the grass looking for all of it. I don't know if I have enough. <laughs> you say, it's a dollar. It's, you got five kids, you'll look for a dollar, too. <laughs> it's a dollar. You know what? This is what Jesus does. The world, even some religious people tear up people that leave them on the side of the road out here right down on baby leave them on the side of the road saying they're useless that's not the way Jesus sees people do we see prostitutes we see addicts we see people we see people we don't we oh they smell we they we don't want them in our church that's not the way Jesus sees them Jesus sees people who can be brought back together and be made whole you may always suffer with something that somebody did to you, but the blood of Jesus can wash you by his yeah. He takes what the world and what religion says is useless and throws it away and brings it all back together. If I was a magician, I'd take this and I'd go, look, a dollar bill. <laughs> but I'm not. Listen, let me give you an opportunity this week, this next month, Deal with some of these issues. Celebrate recovery if you deal with it. I just want to give you an opportunity not to miss out on ministry. Not miss out on meeting some of the needs that people have. Yeah. You want to see a miracle? Steve, I, I would believe, I would, my faith would be stronger if I could just see a miracle. I can show you a miracle. <laughs> you spend time invested with somebody, you hold their hands, and you help them as they accept Christ as your personal Savior. Yeah. And you open your eyes, you will see a miracle. Yeah. You think miracles are putting legs back on and giving people money for bills? That's the easy thing. 
The greatest miracle you'll ever see is when someone accepts Christ for the patients. This is overwhelming. You bow your head and close your eyes.